0: Well, happy fifth Sunday of the month, for those of you that don't know, um, we do family worship every fifth Sunday. It's for a couple reasons. One, for you kids to get a little taste of what your parents go through every single week. These aren't the most comfortable stools.
1: They're, they're all right, yeah.
0: These are new stools. Oh, there you go. Oh, cool. Full
1: rest there. Wow.
0: Testing out new equipment this, this morning. That's better.
1: That's much better. Way better. Uh,
0: So there's that. And so fifth Sunday of the month, family worship. We do littles, but kids, you get a little bit of glimpse of what your parents go through every single week. Um, So there's that. And two, it gives our volunteers a little bit of a break on those fifth Sundays. And so for those of you that also don't know, this is Anthony. I'm John. We are two of the four pastor elders here at Union. And if you have any questions about the church, we'd love to... Uh, Meet with you easiest way would be fill out one of the connect cards that's at the back table or just tap us on the shoulder and say Hey, what's up? And we'll get coffee lunch get to know you you can get to know us Um, As far as announcements go It is being family worship. I'm gonna do this first Uh, And and I was really happy your your daughter uh, Made me very happy because she said what's the silly news this Sunday? We do silly news Sunday (laughs) And she's like, you got to tell me because I'm in kids ministry doing littles. And so I was like, does anybody care? Yes, we have one person that cares. I care. So, I love it. Silly News Sunday. <laughs> uh, it's coming from the news desk in Japan. Yes. The AP. People, and again, we don't do this every Sunday. This is m- mainly for the kids and apparently the adults too. It's for you.
1: I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah.
0: People in a southwestern Japan, Japanese city have come under attack from monkeys that are trying to snatch babies biting and clawing at flesh and sneaking into nursery schools the attacks get this on 58 people since july 8th that's a lot of people are getting so bad yamaguchi city hall hired a special unit to hunt the animals with tranquilizer guns the monkeys aren't interested in food so traps haven't worked they have targeted mostly children and the elderly That's the part where I, (laughs) you weren't supposed to laugh. It's terrible. (laughs) Quote, they are so smart and they tend to sneak up and attack from behind, often grabbing at your legs, city official. ah, Masato Sato said Wednesday. When confronted by a monkey, here's your instructions for all of you that may be visiting southwestern Japan, or if they come over here in their boats and want to take over. Do not look them in the eye. Make yourself look as big as possible, such as spreading open your coat, and then back away as quietly as possible without making sudden moves, according to Saito. A woman was assaulted by a monkey while hanging laundry on her veranda. Another victim showed bandaged toes. They were taken aback and frightened by how big and fat the monkeys were. No one seems to know why the attacks have occurred and where exactly the troop of monkeys came from remains unclear. I have never seen anything like this in my entire life, Sato said. And here's a picture from the article. (laughs) So there you go. As far as announcements beyond silly news Sunday, um, we're planning out family dedications in the next couple months. If you are a family and have a child of any age that has not yet officially been dedicated you have any questions about that see me i'm putting together an email and information around that and then uh, secondly we have a sign up in the back for women's discipleship you go women's discipleship is union starting a ladies ministry hold your horses Women's discipleship. Giovanna Penny is a part of our church, and she's going to be leading a group of ladies through a book called The Gospel-Centered Life. And so she and I have been emailing back and forth, and so if you'd like more details on that or would like to sign up, we have a sign-up at the Connect table, and Giovanna will be leading that up and keeping you all up to speed with that. Then finally, before we read the text in prayer, how many of you kids are going to school this week? Raise of hands. How many of you kids? Scott, you're going back to school this week? I'm teaching. You're teaching, okay. None of you kids are going to school this week? Andrew, all right, all right, all right. So, we got one teacher. Where do you teach at? At PHS. Okay, PHS, God bless you. My alma mater, you might have been able to tell. Yeah. Okay. So, anybody else going back to school this week? You homeschoolers, when are you going back to school? Children, are you
1: getting an education this year?
0: When are you homeschoolers (laughs) going back? Never? (laughs) Eden, you're never going back to school. You graduated? All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to read the text. It's Matthew chapter 3. We're continuing our journey through the Bible very quickly. Uh, I'll be reading all of Matthew chapter 3, and then we will pray for you, Scott, and all of you students here in the area. So how many of you are excited about being in the New Testament finally? Woo! My father this morning said, oh, finally, no more doom and gloom from the prophets. And I said, yeah, you just get it from John the Baptist and Jesus. <laughs> You'll see. Not so fast. We, we're going to cover the final prophet and then get into it. And if you're taking notes, what's the title today?
1: We uh, Arrival Announcement Acts. Or, or uh, the... Or it could be Bruner's back, baby.
0: Yeah. So we're alliterating every single title, which has been a—it a, was a bad idea um, for every a single. A bad book, idea.
1: What are you talking it about? It was my
0: idea, so I can say it was bad.
1: Okay. So All we're right.
0: alliterating every well, title, good. and we went through Matthew uh, for 13 months. And our favorite theologian commentator is Dale Bruner, mm-hmm. and so it could be Bruner's back, baby. <laughs> Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. His winnowing fork is in hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Would you pray for us?
1: Yes. God, thank you so much for uh, your word to us. God, that you would ever be mindful of us to communicate your truth. Uh, your will, your way, uh, your heart, and 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 offer your hope to uh, a hopeless people. Uh, God, we are overwhelmed by your truth, and I pray that it would sink deeper into our hearts. Um, Holy Spirit, we we as we have sung already, we 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 want to welcome you into this place, um, to open our eyes and open our ears to what your what you might have for us today. Um, God. Please bring um, deeper transformation in all of our hearts, uh, whether that be sanctification uh, that is ongoing, or, or perhaps even uh, justification today. Maybe that that someone might know you for the very first time. Um, thank you for uh, your good news, and I pray that as we consider it today, it would be proclaimed uh, loudly and uh, clearly. Um, So help us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Well, again, welcome to the New Testament. As we go through each gospel over the next four weeks, we'll see that each one has a unique uh, and different perspective on Jesus' work and his word in the midst of the world. And every gospel takes a different viewpoint, and together they kind of create and complement one another to where we get a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Every author has a little bit of a different audience in mind, and, and I like to think of it. I'm not visual, but I was really proud. It's like a kaleidoscope. They're all working together to create a beautiful picture of who Christ is. You
1: proud of that one? Um, I'm overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you get you get the picture. Some yes, might say, yes. right? Okay. And so I have
0: promised uh, all of you, or I promise you all now, that I have officially stopped the boy band comparisons. Um, Anthony, this week, boo. it wasn't a hard sell uh, as we studied together (laughs) this week, Anthony compared every minor prophet to a boy band member, and I participated in the joke as well, so I'm complicit. Um, So we aren't going to do that with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, But what we see is Matthew's take and angle is primarily a Jewish audience, and what he It goes to great lengths to show and I would encourage all of you to watch the two Bible project videos on YouTube about Matthew's Gospel so you can see the artistry and just the depth that goes into this book in particular but he's showing two things it is the continuity the continuing of the story that started in Genesis and the fulfillment of that story in jesus and so today is the title uh, gives you a glimpse arrival announcement in the acts of the messiah and we're hoping to apply it all into life and that's really if you want to know what we're about as a church and what we're about when we teach every single week it is taking the truth of god's word and letting that chisel our hearts our souls and our lives it's not really so much about personal opinions though those come from time to time it's allowing god's truth of who jesus is and what he's accomplished. Accomplished, shape us and hone us. Mm-hmm. So Anthony, how does the Messiah arrive?
1: Well, uh, to put it uh, simply, the short answer for that is in perfect time. Uh, but if we're looking at it from a human perspective, it's really, really slow. And I think we have to hold both of those ideas in our heads and our hearts as we make a uh, segue from the Old Testament to the uh, New in fact, the uh, intertestamental period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, can be summed up um, with uh, consistency of character. In other words, God's character is consistent in the story, and so is uh, humanity's uh, character. Um, I have a I have a quote from William McDonald's Believer's Bible Commentary that points us to sort of the pattern that we have been noticing through the text thus far, and we'll continue to see that pattern through the text. But he says, First, uh, God generally designed or allowed a desperate situation to arise before presenting his deliverance. And secondly, he always called upon a faithful servant to stand in the gap, making intercession to him on behalf of the people. And to be his agent through whom he performed his work, you see. In short, uh, Israel has uh, before the old Te- before the New Testament begins. Uh, Israel, after Malachi, they enter into uh, a, a period of silence, a, a four hundred year period of silence. Four hundred years where God doesn't utter a single word to his people. Uh, and I don't know about you, what you, well, I know how a lot of people hander, handle uh, s- uh, silence. They just say, uh, well, that's awkward, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I, I'm perfectly fine with silence, I, but maybe, I don't know about 400 years, but when you see people sit around in a, in a group, it's so funny watching people squirm when when one will not talk. I, I love that. I mean, I, it's one of my... This is a little peek into my life, but spiritual. I love I love watching people squirm when there's silence. It's a spiritual gift of making people feel awkward. <laughs>
0: you have it. Do I? Ding okay. ding. Yeah, you took right. the test.
1: Cool. I just that's, gave it to you. Is yeah. that in Corinthians? Is yeah. Is that in the list? Yeah. Or Romans? Is that Chapter Romans? 17 of First yeah, Corinthians. okay, okay. <laughs> but anyway, that's there's this... For a lot of people, there's this 400 year period where God is not speaking, and it can be seen. Uh, it can be seen, perhaps, by these people as a as awkward, but even more terrifying. It could be seen that perhaps God is finally done with them, right? That's what the Old Testament has, has told us: is that there's there's all these opportunities for God's people to turn to to Him, and they had time and time again they refuse that that gift. They refuse that opportunity. And so over this period of this intertestamental period, the people of God must be wondering, there has to be a question that, that registers in their mind and heart, whether or not their rebellion has finally run its course, and God is done. God is completely done. And, and here's the good news. The good news that Matthew tells us is that God's covenantal love never once lost its course setting. That's, that's the good news of Matthew, is that is telling us that God still loves his people. And again, in their particular circumstances, in their plight, he's going to provide deliverance. And then again, he's going to speak a word. And here's what's so beautiful about Matthew, what I love so much, is that his word now that is going to come to them is going to be the most perfect, the most perfect. Powerful word they have ever heard. And you know what his name is? Jesus. That's right, Jesus. After all these, this, these years of silence, Matthew not only provides us with a continuation piece uh, in the storyline of Scripture, he uh, provides us with Jesus the fulfillment and the inauguration of the kingdom of God and, and we're going to get uh, more into that announcement in just a minute with John the Baptist from John the Wolfinger. Um, but, but here's basically the lesson I think we take from this intertestamental period of silence and this beautiful presenta- presentation of the Son of God, the perfect Word of God becoming flesh. And that's in John, and I'll discuss that maybe a little bit more. Um, that 2 weeks yeah, 2 weeks but 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 it's but it's this guys the kingdom of god it comes with waiting 400 years 400 years just let that let that register for a moment let that settle in for a moment life's come and go come and go come and go come and go over this period of time god doesn't say a single word What does it tell us? It tells us that the kingdom comes with waiting. How many of you are good with waiting? Raise your hand. Four hundred years. Four hundred years. Yeah. Anybody good with
0: waiting? I struggled when Prime went beyond one day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. I was suffering. (laughs) That's funny, and it's kind of it's not it's not that far away. But listen, the kingdom of God refuses to be rushed it it refuses to be rushed for 400 years God wasn't on on holiday he wasn't on um, some sort of uh, excursion out in some far-off galaxy um, you know drinking Mai Tais and just you know taking some me time Uh, no he was in the midst of the world in the middle of the mess uh, unfolding and preparing this particular moment to happen in human history. He wasn't ignoring. And that's, that's important for us because often we think that God doesn't see us, that, that God isn't registering what is happening in the world, right? Perhaps I, I think it would be safe to say that most of us are saying, God, where are you in the midst of this mess, this current mess uh, that the that our community uh, currently finds us uh, itself in well god in this intertestamental period is working and and here's here's a few facts of what's happening in this period of silence greek is becoming the common language and you're saying that's cool why is that significant well um because greek became the, the common language Uh, there was now, it was necessary for the Old Testament to be translated into a common language that now, for the first time, the world could all read and understand together. Just if, if that one thing was happening, that would be significant. However, there is so much more. The Romans occupying the territory at that time, they're building out all those roads, and what they're doing is they're connecting the world so for the first time in the history of the world, the world is actually connected. People can get to one another. Information can be exchanged at a high rate. I guess I want to say the Romans are probably the pioneers of the internet, right? Yeah. All these things are taking place. The Maccabean uh, revolt is, is rising and failing. In other words, Jewish deliverance still cannot come from its own people. Um, Religion has fractured again. There's this this inner fighting between Sadducees and Pharisees. And the world at that particular moment is not just a mess religiously and politically, but it's also hyper-connected. It seems like a perfect time for a perfect word to come. And that's what Matthew tells us. It tells you that in this moment, Jesus comes into the fray. When people are are ready to receive it all. And again, let let me say it one more time. God won't be rushed. God is not going to hurry up just because we like things to happen quickly. In other words, that's very difficult for an American audience who likes to see things happen like that. We, we're, you know, one of the greatest, I think one of the gifts of American culture is that we are a, a do-it-now, like bootstrap-it kind of people, and we can make it happen, right? And we say, uh, let's just work hard, let's just fund it, let's just fix it, let's just, you know, get the gears moving and make it all happen. And Jesus shows us a different way. He says, no. I won't be rushed. I'm. I'm not going to uh, work off of your timetable, because you what you say you see as slow, Jesus sees uh, completely differently, and I think that's what that's what um, Matthew teaches us. And I guess I guess basically the application is this. And I, and and it's the it me. It's it really challenges me because I'm. I'm terribly impatient. But, but here's the thing, guys. Can we walk at the pace of Jesus? Are you, are, like, and I'm asking you this, because I've asked myself this all week, but I'm asking you this now. Are you okay with Jesus' pace? When it seems like he's not saying anything, when it seems like there's no movement or activity, can you trust his Perfect pace. Are you okay with slow? Are you okay with the appearance of inactivity? Are you okay with Jesus taking His sweet, perfect time? I think I think that's that's the question. I mean, there's a there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of theological theological conflict that comes up in terms of conversations around the kingdom of God. But what we can all agree on is that Jesus is going to come back and culminate the kingdom. He's coming back. In other words, Jesus is going to come back and make everything right. The, the, the way as, make everything the way as it, as it should be, as it ought to be. You know, we're, there's, there's going to be a day when there's no more sin. There's going to be a day when you don't have to shed a tear any longer. There's, there's going to be a day where you don't have uh, just brokenness in your heart. That day is coming. But until that day comes, are you okay with the pace of Jesus? I think Matthew is in, in the arrival of Jesus, understanding that intertestamental period tells us something really wonderful and, and terribly challenging Is there, are, we, are we okay with waiting? Or how many of you think Jesus is messing up right now in terms of his culminating the kingdom? No, none of us would ever say that. But how often do we feel that in our hearts, in our minds, when we feel deep disappointment? Mm-hmm. Anyway, John, what do you think about that? Uh, I think that's great,
0: Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> and we move from the arrival coming at the pace that God chooses to moving into chapter 3 with the announcement. And even in that, there's this, I, I find it so curious and interesting that Jesus took 30 years to begin his ministry. Mm-hmm. Um why, I don't know. Could it have been 21? Could it have been 18? I mean, at 18, I was ready to tackle the world and get some stuff moving <laughs> no, along. Yeah. yeah. But God takes His time. And what we see in chapter three is really this kind of crossover in the bridge from the old age in the, the period of the, the prophets and all of that into the new age of the kingdom of God coming in Christ. And how that transition happens is also interesting. It's through. A messenger. Uh, Malachi had promised in chapter four and chapter three that a messenger would come and make an announcement, and John the Baptist is that messenger. What's his announcement? Now I was reflecting this week on what often draws our attention. Um, the, there's a four-letter word that's a dirty one that everybody uses, and that is "sale." <laughs> Sale. And if oh, I hate malls so much, <laughs> if, if if I want to die. I go to a mall and just internally just Scottsdale Fashion Square and I'm not pressing that on all of you that's again more to do with me than it is anybody else Scottsdale Fashion Square though I mean just it's the worst the worst sale Uh, well if everybody has a sale then is it really a sale (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Off my soapbox. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Eschatology and malls. That's, yeah. That's,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what it, I it's,
0: it's not a sale. It's not your best lot. If now, it's not, hey, this is a great party and a really cool vibe out here. It's a really strange person in a very interesting costume of camel's hair with a really weird diet of locusts and honey with a one-word message, and that is repent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And so people are confronted with the truth of the law, and that is they have fallen short. They have not met God's standard, and their failure in that, and their response is going out to the Jordan and confessing their sins. Mm. Our boy Bruner says, it's, he's not our boy, he's 90 years old.
1: He's, uh, our he's, he's our boy. He's our boy. He's our boy. The
0: remedy for sin is not denying sin's presence or explaining it away but openly admitting it. We are free from sin only when we face it. We disown sin by owning up to it. Sin is remitted where sin uh, is admitted. Mm-hmm. Sin is remitted where sin is admitted. Anthony's gonna make a hip hop song based off that. Um, Those are some bars for Brunner, yeah,
1: yeah, for real.
0: And so as the leaders catch wind of it, as we saw in the text when it was read, they come out and they're wondering what's going on, and he's got an even stronger message for them. He calls it, I love it, you brood of vipers. I mean, it's an ancient, you call those ancient burns, right? Yeah, yeah, ancient burns, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. Or
1: or church building methods. Yeah,
0: church building methods. (laughs) You brood of vipers. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Mm -hmm he's saying don't count on your heritage. Don't count on your position within society. Live a life of repentance. That is just turning from Mm -hmm. sin and trusting in God. He promises God's going to judge, God's going to sort, God's going to work it out, and there's one coming who's going to bring this promise of God's spirit and fire. We get from, uh, John chapter three that that as Jesus enters the scene, John the Baptist's ministry begins to dwindle out, and Jesus begins to catch steam. And it was John who said, "He, Jesus, must increase, and I, must decrease." And it's interesting because you know we can go, "Oh, the Old Testament, who? We're we're done with the fire and brimstone." And as we talk through Matthew, that's not truly and totally the case because Jesus talks plenty about judgment especially in Matthew's gospel and what we need to see is that is in compliment again and again and and it feels like we push this Um, we we want to put this on the forefront because there's this idea that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God and I'm cool with Jesus but I'm not cool with wrath and judgment and all that but it's the same God all throughout the story A God who has love and justice, a God who brings peace and also has wrath. Again, Dale Bruner helps me on this. He says, The wrath of God is not the irritability of God. See, I think about God's wrath and I just think about myself, like God's like me and he's not. Mm -hmm. The wrath of God is not the irritability of God, it is the love of God in friction. With injustice. It is the warm, steady, patient, but absolutely fair grace of God in collision with manifest selfishness. And so Jesus enters the scene and goes out to John as an adult, and he begins with a beautiful display of dependency. And as he's baptized, a voice comes up. Before any miracle, before casting out any demons, before calling disciples, Jesus shows dependency, and this voice from heaven shows his identity. And that identity will mark all of his activity. And this baptism, this voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased is something that we need to take to heart. Again, I'm just going with all of Dale Brunner's greatest hits for this one. He says this, (laughs) and this marked me. I remember from teaching uh, Matthew chapter 3, if we hear the Father's twice-repeated voice at the baptism and transfiguration correctly, the one fact the Father wants believers to know above apparently all other facts is how much we have in Jesus. If we know this, we know the most important fact in the world, Here, God is saying in so many words, in this man is everything I want to say, reveal, and do. Everything I want people to hear, see, and believe. If you want to get to know anything about me, if you want to hear anything from me, if you want to please me, get together with him. And that's what Jesus offers us. In any sort of season where we might find ourselves waiting, we have Jesus. In any sort of season where we're confronted with our sin, we have Jesus. And what Jesus offers people in this gospel and to us today, a couple thousand plus-ish years later, is that he grants a new life and a new identity. That Paul would say in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 that if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's just not that Jesus came to give us, you know, kind of a a golden ticket for when we die. Well, here's your pass, you get to heaven, be a good chap until then.
1: I like that. (laughs) You like that? Yeah, I thought you
0: might. Uh, Yeah. It's not that Jesus just goes, okay, well, I know you've done some bad things, but we'll sweep that under the rug. Jesus, in our repentance and trust in him, gives us a new identity. And that new identity has uh, the power in the presence to, to mark all of our activity in life. So, kids, how are you going to make it through another year of school? Well, if you're in Jesus, you have power. Scott, how are you going to make it through another year? I don't know how you do it, but if you're in Christ, you have this gift in this power that then confronts what we face in everyday life. And the application here is to apply that announcement, that Gift that Jesus gives us and that he shows us to every single aspect of our lives. To to know this Jesus and be known by this Jesus. A favorite quote of mine from Henry Nouwen is this, You have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. It is manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this every time you feel hurt offended rejected and i would add tempted you have to dare say to yourself these feelings strong as they may be are not telling me the truth about myself the truth even though i cannot feel it right now is that i am the chosen child of god precious in god's eyes called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting belief Mm -hmm. and so that is the good news of the gospel that has come to us that jesus comes he is god's beloved son with whom he is well pleased in that jesus gifts to those who follow him that same identity that marks us and shapes us and transforms us for all of life and now my friend anthony has the privilege and pleasure of unpacking the next 25 chapters in, I don't know, less than 10 minutes, so. (laughs) What are the acts of the Messiah?
1: Well, okay, Lord have mercy, but I'm just going to focus on one thing in one chapter instead of try to tackle them all. You see, Matthew, I think, his gift to us, in terms of what we can cover today, is that We see that the one who made this announcement, the one who proclaimed the coming of Christ, uh, was now in chapter eleven. If you're familiar with the the chapter, is now looking to Jesus himself and asking him to authenticate this announcement. Um, He's questioning the sincerity of Jesus. He's questioning the sincerity of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom. And I and I I love this first, just personally, from a personal matter. I love that saints have their doubts. Um, If 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 there wasn't space in Scripture for doubt, uh, I couldn't be a Christian. Let me just put that out there. Uh, I I, I'm still uh, dealing with with doubts, so that's it. Moving on, and we we could get a coffee around that if you want. But here's what here's here's what uh, John the Baptist says. Grabs a few of his disciples, sends them to Jesus, and he says this. He says, are you the one who is to come, or, or shall we look for another? Okay? Because John's in prison at this point. And, and, and this announcement, it was, it was uh, exciting. It was, um, it was full of energy. It was... Uh, Perhaps even, I think it was a, probably a visceral moment for people to, to really give them uh, an embodied hope, I think. And then, and, and, then, and then John now, by himself in prison, is saying, Jesus, are you the guy? And he's sending his disciples to say, are you, are you the guy? And what, what, what John means uh, is, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we have all been waiting for? And the, the one that Isaiah told the poor and the anxious in heart to, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the vengeance of God. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. You see, John, when he makes his announcement in chapter 3, he has a strong emphasis on power. A strong em- emphasis on something happening now. Now. See, John's just like us. We have a hard, difficult time waiting. We have a difficult time waiting on the kingdom. And his, again, his emphasis was on power because he talked about fire. He talked about winnowing forks and, uh, and, and basically judgment. He said, the Messiah's going to come and deal with Rome. And that's really what we've been all anticipating. And now he's saying, where is it? Where is it, Jesus? Are you the one or... Or are you just another one like me, and we're still waiting for the one? Now, I don't have uh, what I do. I saved all my my um, my Bruner bucks for one big quote. Okay, um, Bruner's thoughts here are really help are, are a really helpful summary on why John and all of us would have confusion at this moment. So, so I'm spending my Bruner bucks now. He says. For immediately after John's sermon, in the rest of chapters 3 and 4, Jesus comes almost like a, a sinner to be baptized and in water. John even tries to dissuade Jesus from being baptized. In John's eyes, Jesus was from the, the very first a little baffling, a, a little strange, less mess, messianic than he had expected, and less cataclysmic than he had preached, then in the three temptations, Jesus rejects, rather than accepts, the powerful ministries offered by Satan, and even well-meaningly preached by John, sensational, spectacular, and speedy ministries. It sounds like American uh, ministry right there. Um, in the three services, Jesus calls uh, called his first disciples with power, but just a few were called. Four were recorded. They were not persons of great influence. They were simply fishermen. And their task, was, uh, their task seemed less to be setting the world on fire by destroying evil, which was John's main picture, than it was more prosaically catching people into salvation, which is Jesus' main picture. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught with authority. But what he taught seemed more calculated to put axes in the hands of his opponents than in the hands of his disciples. Disciples were, in fact, specifically forbidden avenging attacks on evil, were particularly promised persecution and tough times. And when talk did come to to great and powerful deeds, a prophecy exorcism, exorcism of many miracles, Jesus seemed less to encourage them than to warn them. The whole Sermon on the Mount calls its hearers to a fundamental morality, to such prosaic deeds as scriptural reverence, temperamental uh, patience, sexual purity, marital fidelity, no oaths, nonviolence, and even the love of enemies. Are these the deeds of the Messiah preached by John and predicted in the Old Testament? You, you guys, Jesus was, Jesus is confu- confusing now because he was confusing then. Because what we, our ideas of the kingdom, our ideas of power, they're completely different when we we look at what Jesus actually says and what he actually does. And even, even especially in Jesus' answer to John when he says, are you the one or do we search for another? I mean, this answer, you're probably familiar with it, and if you're not, let, like, take a minute and let this sink in for a second. What he says in terms of his confusion around Jesus. Jesus in uh, Matthew 11, beginning of verse 4, says this. He says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Here's my answer. Tell him what you hear and see. He says, The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, you want to know about my identity? You want to, you want to um, question whether or not the kingdom has, has been inaugurated in my life? Well, he says, look at people who used to be hopeless in the world. He says, for the first time in human history, hopeless people have hope. And I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. It's a profound thing because he says, he says the, the poor have good news preached to them. And if you're looking at it from an analytic perspective, that, may, that meant that 95% of the world population was poor and destitute meaning they were under the hand of some sort of oppression. Up until that point, it was just a... And you guys, I think we did a pretty good job in the Old Testament of reviewing the, the, the ruthless cycle of empire coming over people and, and pushing them down and oppressing them. And that's, that's still true with Rome. But for the very first time, out in the backwoods, out in the sticks... There's this guy going around healing people and giving them hope where there was no hope. And that's, that's, pretty por- that's pretty profound. Jesus moves into this mess, and while Rome could care less, while the religious establishment could care less about what's going on, Jesus moves into this mess. And I, don't, and I don't know about you, But there is something powerful uh, thinking about the acts of Jesus in Matthew, the the gospel accounts. But all I can can offer to you in this moment, because we we don't have another 45 minutes and nobody wants that, but we should take our time to see how Jesus actually engages in the world. Because the word is incarnational, the The idea is God became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, Eugene Peterson's is my favorite passage on this because it says uh, uh, God uh, put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. But it's this idea that should consume us when we consider the kingdom of God and its unfolding in the world. We we should consider the way Jesus engages with humanity because again, are we okay with the pace of jesus? Here's, here's the pace. The one who spoke it all into, into motion, created it all with a word, desi- decided to uh, step into human form and and dwell among us, and not even as a powerful uh, dictator but as a, as a baby I mean. That blows my mind. I see how helpless some of these babies are without their mother. That is our Savior. That is our Creator. He he slows down to a pace where he has to start where we all started. And that's terribly uh, profound. Jesus then, after all the acts in the Gospels, he doesn't go and overthrow Rome like everybody had ever everybody had envisioned. No, he, he humbly went to a cross to die there. And it's only through his resurrection power that we find hope for a future. And is, and is, that, is that compelling enough for us? Is that compelling enough for us to, to join into the commission that he gives to his disciples at the very end of, of Matthew? To go and make disciples Uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is the way Jesus rolls in the world, is the way he lives and dies, is that compelling for us? Because that's what the, that's the application, is a terribly challenging one. And, I don't know. We have, so, we have a conclusion, and I'll let, I'll let John take it home from here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm not even going to go with what's there, because I think two things come to mind, at least for me, is closing questions um, or considerations. Number one, consider the Christ, <clears throat> who he actually is in Scripture. And any, every single one of us, and this is part of the human experience, have received some sort of Jesus, in some ways, and hopefully most ways, is congruent with Scripture. It is the Jesus of the Bible. Many of us, though, have been given a kind of <laughs> like an off-brand Sam's Club soda-type Jesus. And it's like, yeah, it kind of too. But if you look at the book, it's not necessarily the full Jesus. So kids, adults, consider who Jesus actually is. We, we all have to answer his question that he asked to Peter. Who do you say that I am? Consider this Christ. Second, not just who he is, but how does this Jesus roll? How does he roll? So not only see who he is, but see how he goes about, who he gives priority, how he cares for people, the amount of love that he is willing to give at great cost to himself, and ultimately, most of all, on the cross. And then we see his power in the resurrection. Consider who this Jesus is, and then how he rolls, and allow that to shape who you are. We can look, and all day we did this through the Minor Prophets and even today, God's timing isn't ours. And at times I can, you know, it it feels like kicking rocks. Jesus, for John the Baptist, the journey didn't look like jail. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm the final messenger and this journey ends up in jail and, oh yeah, martyrdom, head on a platter, sweet. But here's the thing, and and because I'm American, I'm just going to go pragmatic. It worked. And it's working. And I go, God, man, I wish you would show up in such different ways in my life and your presence would be greater and it would be more felt and magnificent and this and that. And it's like the extraordinary work and power of God is shown throughout ordinary life in human history. Mm-hmm. And aren't we glad today that God has not yet returned and made all things new? You know, well, uh, two years ago would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> but he's waited another 2,000 years. And what grace is there in that and that he has called you and he's called me into his kingdom. Why? So that we can go and make disciples in our families, in our vocations, so that we might go and show this world who this Jesus is and how he rolls. He's entrusted his kingdom by the power of his spirit to a bunch of wonderful, scrubby people like you and like me. And so that's who we're following, that's who we're after, that's who now we respond in worship to. So let me pray for us. Mm -hmm. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your time and your way is perfect, and we see it fully in Jesus. And so we ask that uh, your kingdom, your will, your message, your word would shape our hearts, would God in some way, send us out where we tend to be slow. and and closed internally, stuck on ourselves, that we would look out and see the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and other ways where we're trying to get ahead of you that it would slow us down and implant in our hearts the patience that we need. And so, God, you see uh, the bundle of paradox that we are and how we need your help, and we thank you that it's available freely and fully in your kingdom and by your spirit. And so would you be pleased to continue your work amongst your people now in Christ's name we pray.